we sit and join the shade. Hey, brother, pour the wine. Drink the drink that I have made. Hey, brother, pour the wine. Tell you why the day is sunny. I'm in love. Welcome, everybody, to Drink in the Style, brought to you by Habitation Furnishing and Design and the District of Dinah. I'm your host, Gregory Rich. As I used to say, I'm going to help you kill your early evening with some booze and conversation. Um, Tonight's theme, furniture and life. My guest, furniture line, European furniture line representative, Henrik Hundevad is with us. Henrik, welcome to the program. Thank you, Greg. Appreciate it. I'm looking forward to it. You know, you and I have spent a good deal of time in conversation together, and we share a a natural affinity for philosophy. I think we're probably going to delve into some stuff, right? Sounds great. As long as we can agree in the end that uh, the source of most of our problems is the Welsh, I think we'll be fine. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Johnson, did you hit the anti-Welsh button for Facebook? That's right. I forgot that. Yeah, we still uh, – the Welsh are still terrible. <laughs> it's it's just – I'm waiting for some kind of Welshman out there to send me an angry email. Somebody whose grandfather was from Wales and, and hates my picking on them. But as I've said many, many times, I don't know how these people have made it through history without anyone particularly disliking them. And that's just not right. I'm going to correct that. Omission from the gods. Sound right? We're on a mission. We're on a, we're on a mission to malign the Welsh. Just oh. anti-Welsh propaganda. <laughs> it's absolutely true. <laughs> OAN, get ready for some commercials. Okay. Normally, I would now introduce our master of the cocktailogical arts, but unfortunately, we are flying without a cocktailist this evening due to circumstances beyond anyone's control. Therefore, we are going to one of our basic go-tos. Straight liquor, straight booze tonight, although we do have a little bit of a twist for folks outside of the Swedish, Norwegian, Danish, Nordic, Minnesota area. This may be new to you for the rest of us. This is a standard. But, Brett, why don't you hit us with our mixing music, and it's going to be quick. Tonight, I am pouring Aquavit. Aquavit or Aquavit? How would you pronounce it, Henrik? Aquavit. Aquavit. All right. Aquavit is a kind of licorice liquor, 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 I would call it. Um, It is at uh, 100 proof, so it is some mighty stuff. Uh, And it is very popular amongst the Nordics, correct? Correct. Yeah. Um, Guys, if you don't have this in your liquor cabinet, you really, really should. You ever have somebody who's Swedish or Norwegian over, they're going to greatly appreciate the fact that you have this. And it mixes beautifully with a ton of different things. But tonight, we're drinking it neat. So what I have here is the Skalven Distillery Aquavit, handcrafted locally right here in Minneapolis, Minnesota, specifically Brooklyn Park. And I think they've done a pretty nice job. So here we go. We uh, prepare this cocktail as follows. Uncorked, poured, and ready to drink. It's clear, it has great nose, Oops, sorry about that, and, uh, and it'll warm you up beautifully, especially in the winter. So there it is, ladies and gentlemen. 
Aquavit on Drink in the Style. This may or may not make the cocktail compendium next year. <laughs> I think we'll have somebody mix something up, including it. But let's give it a little sip and a little try. It's so good. I mean, it is. It is. I, I argue constantly about drinks are foo-foo. You know, everything that's in a martini glass with sugar and some kind of soft drink is 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 just crap. This is a liquor that has a really great flavor to it, a flavor that legitimately you can enjoy, but then it 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 packs a hell of a punch. Do you agree? Totally. Did you drink uh Aquavit as a child, Henrik? Did they is this like Italy where they give you wine to start with? Of course, yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Feed the little children and see how fun they look, right? <laughs> What's we doing Saturday nights? <laughs> it's a small and very private country. Just yeah. sit around. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. No, I uh, like I said, folks, seriously. Aquavit, go out and get it. I'm not even being paid for that. It is something that any sophisticated bar should have on hand. And I do mean personal bar. All right. There goes, uh, there goes the coctology segment. Let's move along to our... Generally, totally not random, random question for today. All right. Henrik, you are obviously from Denmark, correct? That's right. And now how long how, did you live there? When did you move to the U.S.? Uh, I was in the mid-20s, so like after military service and after school. Okay. Okay. So you grew up there. You are a Dane through and through, but now you're an American. But still, you can take the boy out of Denmark, but you can't take the Danish out of the boy. Something like that, yeah. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> or the accent. <laughs> or the accent. Which, by the way, is charming. I got to tell you. Thank you. It's funny. No, my kids, they think I sound like just like you, Rain. It's, it's awesome. But their friends don't. No, they don't? No, they can hear it. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, well, here's the question I want to ask you. And I learned this when I was just doing a little bit of history and uh, 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 on, on, on the, the Danish language. And by the way, it is Danish language, right? It's not okay. It still sounds like a donut. I'm sorry, no offense. It is. Yeah, I mean, seriously. To me, if you get a someone from Turkey and someone who's Danish together in a room, I'm gonna be very, very hungry. <laughs> but here's can be a Danish woman <laughs> and a Turkish woman, and yeah, okay. Moving along. Is it true? Is this seriously true? There is no word for please in Danish. Uh, so it goes, yeah. So it goes. I mean, do you have? A, how is that possible? Do you have a substitute? Let me let me tell you a kind of funny story that that when when we make fun of ourselves, if we say this, you know, right? If you if you go to any kind of American or you go to Britain, and they have an announcement on the train station, mm-hmm. they would go, you know, attention, please, attention, please. Yes. If you go to Germany, they would say, you know, Achtung bitte. Achtung, bitte. Bitte, baby. Go ahead. Exactly. If you go to France, they will go, attention, s'il vous plaît. Attention, s'il vous plaît. Oui. In Denmark, you say, hello, 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 hello. Just that. Nothing, Just that. no request, no please. This is, why do you think that is? I mean, are Danes, do the formality, is the formality unimportant? Is it implied? No, I think that's more like a, like a little bit of a joke, and I hope they've changed it since I moved away. It's, it, it seems very un, 
you know, hello, 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 you know, like almost almost rude, right? I mean, exactly. I mean, if you had told me that there's no word for please in German, mm-hmm. I could kind of understand that. It's highly directive. But you think of people from Denmark as being, well, I mean, I personally think of them as being kind of German lights. You know, they've got a lot of Nordic and German and, and Germanic aspect to it, but not the Prussian, you know, aggressiveness. Is that accurate? I think there's a big difference also between the northern Germans and the southern Germans. The southern German seems to be very much more laid back, right? And the northern Germans are very formal and, and tie in suits. And That's true. That is true. The southern Germans have been influenced by the Italians and uh, drinking and French after. and beer and <laughs> <laughs> all the things or that we live fist. for. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, now we've identified everything we need to know about but Europe. No, we, have, we, have a, we have a lot of works for, works for Thank You in Denmark. Do you? Yeah, many uh, of them. Every so segment we, he's gonna, uh, Henrik's going to launch with a... Uh, with a new thank you. With a new thank you. <laughs> yeah. All right. How do you say thank you very quickly right now? Takfanu. Takfanu. All right. Takfanu. There it is. We're going to take a quick break. When we get back, Henrik and I are going to be talking about European furniture and finding out another way to say thank you. Stick with us. Your smile so warm and your cheeks so soft. There is nothing for me. That's life. That's life. That's what all the people say. You're riding high. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. <laughs> hello, hello. <laughs> is that it? Is that, is that, is that, no, am I bringing hello, you back home? Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Near the train station. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. <laughs> All right. Welcome back to Drink in the Style European Edition. Sorry, I love Europeans. I love... Yeah, it. All right. I'm your host, Gregory Rich. My guest is European Furniture Line representative Henrik Hundevad, which, frankly... I'm kind of proud. Hundevad. I'm saying it properly, right? You did. Got it, buddy. Yeah. Oh, nailed it. All right, Henrik, let's start here. Let's talk about furniture. European furniture, modern European furniture. What are the fundamental characteristics of that style? Well, we considered a little bit better design. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that sometimes we, we call in the design police to tell you what is good design and what's not good design. And I think most people, they would they would like to say that they're, that's that's personal and it's not something you can judge one way or the other. I think we kind of think that you can judge it a little bit and say that <laughs> this is good and it's not good. You know, when you play a piano and, and you hit a disharmony, you can hear it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't sound good. And, and you can do the same thing in design and it can look like and you can put it together incorrectly and it doesn't look good. And, uh, regardless if you say that it, it it's personal taste, then your personal taste can just be very bad too. It's very true. I mean, and it and it is true. Style and, and taste are, are subjective, but there are standard, you know, beauty norms. I mean, you know, you can take a look at, you know, what the golden mean and right. things that adhere to that and you can take a look at proportion and I think, you know, it's hard to look at something that is out of proportion and say that's beautiful. You can say that's interesting, um, but, you know, it's – there are objective standards that you can look at. I agree with that, Greg. I agree with that setting. There is something that says this is good looking or it's not good looking and it can also be in the place where it is if you have a – 
a very old town that has, you know, basically houses from and houses and buildings and so forth from the 14th century. It can be very difficult to put a modern building right smack in the city center and make it look good and feel like it's in place. Very true. What do you think about like putting modern furniture into like a 14th, 15th century architectural? Have you uh, designed? Is that is that something that you think can be successfully done, or do you have to reflect the aesthetic of the original intent? I think you can certainly mix it. Mm-hmm. it it's, uh, it's like when you cook food, you can mix different different styles, but you have to be careful. You have to, you have to you have to do it with good sense. Which there are people, which I'm not one of those people, but there are people out there who can who can design a room to make it look amazing. You go into the room and you feel like you're very balanced in there. You feel comfortable and mm-hmm. it looks great. Your, your, your boy Carl is one of them, you know, right? He's fabulous. Yeah, yeah Carl can. Can, can really bring so many different elements together. He's very talented. Carl Peltier at Habitation Furnishing. Right, 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 right. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, for, back back to the European, the, the, and, and is it, would it even, is it even necessary to say modern European style or do you think it's basically European style at this point? I think when we often talk about modern, we talk about that mid-century modern from, from the 50s, from the 40s and uh, that did develop in, in uh, Northern Europe or in Scandinavia. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, I mean, would you draw a distinction between modern and contemporary as a style, or would you say that is an interchangeable term? Yeah. No, very often when we talk about modern in that way, we, we maybe talk a little bit about, more about that, what we call Italian modern, mm-hmm. uh, low to the ground and much opening air around it, large pieces of furniture with very few pieces of furniture. Yes. And that, and you just nailed it, I think, on, on something that a lot of people miss, which is the air around, the use of negative space, of void, not trying to fill everything, you know, with, with some kind of a aesthetic or, or, or even functional perspective, appreciating things for simplicity, I would say is kind of a, a through line for European designed furniture. It's funny you say that. When I, when I went to school, like 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 my math physics school, you know, we, we had to take a little bit of archaeology, and uh, one of the the phases that you go through there is that what they refer to as horo vacui or fear of emptiness. Hmm. Horo vacui. Vacui. Horo vacui. Fear of emptiness. Vacui from vacuum. Horo vacuum. Right, right, fear right. of. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah. So they they call this the development, where you see very early on that the vases from from prior development, or should we say less cultured mm-hmm. periods. We're very filled with drawings and and little figures and stuff. And then later on, as you developed, you feel that there is not that need for all that, that it can have a form and a function and a beautiful look in itself, right? I agree completely. I mean, is there still, do you think, a market for kind of old-style European with all of the, you know, the French legs and the, is that is that something that you're seeing over there at all or is that reserved basically for Americans who think they're being European? Oh, definitely there's a market for it. There is? Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's still a matter of individual taste. And again, as long as you've got the right proportions, it's up to aesthetics. Any of your lines along those those lines or are you generally more of the traditional, neither the uh, modern and contemporary? I'm just a sales rep, so I don't I don't design the furniture. We just sell it. But the ones but that I you have, carry are traditional. I, I, have a, I have a very modern line from Bellini, Bellini Modern. Mm-hmm. They, mm-hmm. they make beautiful, beautiful uh, Italian high-end furniture. And then I have a little bit more traditional. And I believe we're going to be carrying Bellini, are we not? Yes. Of course. The answer is yes. <laughs> uh, this is fabulous. All right. All right. 
Word association. I'm going to say a word, and I want you to give me one word as an immediate response. Are you ready? As ready as can be, yeah. Okay. Let's see it. Let's try it. Here we go. Ikea. Ikea is Swedish. <laughs> That's all you're going to give me is Swedish? You're so Danish. Well, that's the first year, the, the first word that came to mind, Swedish. Yeah. You're still brewing. You're still simmering over the Swedish 16, particle board. <laughs> Lots of particle board. Very, it, but something very good about it, they, they have uh, learned the world about logistics. Logistics, mm -hmm. and uh, I don't think anybody brings uh, furniture to the world with less carbon footprint than they do. Very, very true. But then again, conversely, most of it, because of its quality production, winds up in landfills very quickly. Absolutely. So how much can you really say, well, you know, low, you know, small carbon footprint, but, you know, we're filling up landfills. In the logistics segment of theirs, yeah. They're, they're very good logistically. They are. They are. And I mean the flat packs that they're sending out. But And stylistically, I mean, I'm not going to slam IKEA. I mean, actually, I think that they have some really nice-looking designs. But compared to the types of furniture that you represent or that, you know, we sell or something along those lines, it's it's pretty much garbage and waiting. Don't you agree? No, I think they've done a lot to uh, to develop the market together with us for that style. Mm -hmm. So you can you can go out and you can fill an entire room for a relatively low budget with IKEA. Mm -hmm. And now you are introduced to the style. They've popularized the, the, the look. So it's like a gateway drug? Absolutely, and then you go to like, and then you can go to room and board, and then when you finally really develop, you know, then you can go and see Greg, right? Yeah, exactly. When you take it up to the uh, to the top notch. Yeah, you take it to the next level, right? Take it to the next level. When, but when you see that this is this is good, but it isn't quite good enough, then you take it to the next level, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a bizarre experience. I mean, from the IKEA perspective, it's literally such a dichotomy. It's a progressive company. They pay their people well, everything else, but. Literally, they're creating disposable furniture. And it strikes me as though it's the type of thing that the future should not be made up by. Hypocrisy? <laughs> should that be the first word? Hypocrisy? <laughs> there it is. Next time. Hypocrisy. All right. We're going to take another break. And when we come back, I'm going to rip on another European country, maybe. I don't know. Uh, stick around. And uh, if you got a bottle of Aquavit behind you, refill yourself. Cheers. Salute. But the best is good enough for me. Cool. Was it? It's cool. Like oh, is it cool? It's cool. Now this could only happen to a guy like me And only happen in a town like this So may I say to each of you most gratefully As I throw each one of you a kiss this is my kind of town, Chicago. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Sorry, I have such a hard time interrupting the chairman. 
But it has to be done or else we get snagged for not paying royalties, I guess, or something like that. You are listening to Drink in the Style. You may be hearing this on a Saturday night at 7 o'clock. You may be hearing this on a Friday night at 5 o'clock. I'm sorry, Sunday night at 5 o'clock. Or you may have this as a podcast, in which case I am delightful background noise. This is Gregory Rich, and uh, we are speaking with Henrik Hundevad from, uh, well, a number of different European furniture lines. You guys, we are having a great conversation, both on air and off air. Do you agree? Absolutely. We covered a lot of different spaces here, right? Seriously. Seriously. Yeah. Well, you know what? You are you are a man with deep knowledge on a variety of subjects. It's why I so enjoy speaking oh, with at you. At least an opinion on damn near every one of them, right? Well, that's a good point. <laughs> knowledge and opinion. This is 21st century America. Is there a difference? It doesn't matter. An opinion, in fact. <laughs> <laughs> no longer. No knowledge longer. and opinion are one and the same now. <laughs> Apparently they have merged. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, you have to acknowledge, admit it. All right. Let's go back to uh, talking about some kind of uh, current events as it pertains to our industry. Oh, Henrik, what are your thoughts on the uh, supply chain disruptions in, in Europe, especially given the uh, the nonsense in Ukraine? What's going on? Buy more stock in Maersk. <laughs> <laughs> That's the answer. It's, it's good advice. Yeah, they're, 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 they're profitable like they've never been profitable before. Well, isn't that a combination of, of a number of different factors, right? But um, I mean, you're talking about Merck, the, uh, the pharmaceutical company. Correct? No, Maersk, the transportation company. Oh, Maersk. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you said Merck, the, as in the uh, things. Oh, Maersk. Maersk, yes. Maersk. Yeah, see the ta- that accent comes in there. It, Maersk. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. Yeah. If Maersk. you could uh, very quickly indulge me, say you betcha. You betcha. <laughs> Even that sounds charming. Well done. Well you betcha. No, all the, all the shipping companies are insanely profitable right now. They're gouging beyond words. And I can't believe that there's nothing we can do about it. I mean, they are what, 25 times more profitable than they were in 2019, I think it was, the last normal year of shipping? It could be. It could be, but the numbers are astronomical. It's absurd. I mean, a shipping container that's gone from $3,500 is now $25,000. And, you know, you can understand a certain level of, of cost, but really, we are being gouged horrifically. And yet people complain about gas prices. It makes no sense. Yeah. Did the real cost of shipping go up tremendously? No. So no. The oil went up a little bit, yeah. Uh, is it just supply and demand that says, okay, you can you can charge this, so therefore we do charge that? It's pure profiteering, plain and simple, which is a shame. And it's proof that while I am a tremendous capitalist and you are a capitalist, I assume you're a capitalist, capitalism does need certain checks and balances, as does government. I mean, you know what? Honestly, if you were in desperate need of an ottoman and money, you know, if it was an ottoman was the only thing that was going to save your life, yeah, I'd probably raise the prices of ottomans. And I would probably keep raising it until somebody made me stop. Well, it hasn't reached that level yet, has it? Not yet, but it's getting there. Um, What about production? I mean, Eastern Europe has, uh, Poland, for example, I know, had a very growing and robust furniture industry. Have you heard anything about what's going on over there? Well, they're not uh, they're not affected by the war, if that's what you mean. But uh, with the shipping, of course, yeah. Well, I mean, not directly affected by the war, but there are ripples that have to one. I mean, you know, raw materials. I mean, Ukraine actually exports a decent amount of timber, I believe, doesn't it? I mean, it's grain mm-hmm. and timber. 
yeah, Belarus too. Mm-hmm. And with all that cut off, are we seeing, you know, in addition to the normal supply chain problems, we were already way behind, are factories still cranking out at full capacity? I think there's a lot of parts that you get from China still. That's a good point. That, uh, that, that caused a major problem. So when you when you have a, like a bottleneck situation, do we really have a problem in number two, number three link of it, or is the major problem these parts that we're getting from China are number one becoming very very expensive? So the the shipping from China is mm-hmm. is very 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 expensive, and the, and the container price have gone up a lot. The container price have certainly gone up from Europe, mm-hmm. uh, not as much as it has from China, mm-hmm. but a lot. And it's way behind, and that's one of the things. It's a domino effect. You know, we may be able to, you know, try to get uh, furniture from Italy, uh, and it may not be a supply chain problem getting from, you know, across the Atlantic, but you can't ship the stuff unless you've got the hinges and you've got the uh, hardware necessary, and the majority of that still does come from China, although a goodly goodly amount comes from Germany these days as well. They're back But can you ramp up the production fast enough? Mm-hmm. Uh, to say, okay, if nine-tenths of a certain product, let's just say a hinge, comes from China, can the German suppliers or the Danish suppliers quickly enough ramp fill up the their production to fill that gap? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a good question. I mean, I think one of the benefits of COVID, if I can say so, is that it is going to return us to a level of local production, or at least internal national production, European production. The age, I think, of outsourcing virtually everything to China is is past. I don't think we're going to make that mistake again. Do you? I, I hope not. I, I hope on a, on a political level also that we can limit or, or stop the, the purchasing from China. I agree. They, they're becoming very, very strong. And I'm not sure it's, it's, I'm not sure we're going to like where that is 10 years from now. I, I agree, especially our dependence on microchips and things like that. Although, of course, that's what Taiwan, but still. Um, well, as long as Taiwan is Taiwan, but... But how long will Taiwan be Taiwan if... Yeah, exactly. I don't know. I have a theory that, you know, when we started to massively offshore production of virtually everything to China, there was a realization among those who matter that American production facilities were mostly outdated. I mean, if you take a look at... perfect example to me is auto parts. American cars, I don't care what you say still have massive quality problems. And if you take a look, the plastic pieces, a lot of the metal pieces, simply are not as well-made as they are in a European car where you're producing much of the stuff, you know, locally or or, or at home and you have updated facilities, factories, you've been keeping pace with that. I think America had, our production facilities had become outdated. And if anything, the past 30 years has been a chance for us to kind of disassemble, and then prepare to reinvent our industrial base. Yes, my, my, my personal opinion is is that we are in America, and we now living here, we, we discover, we make most discoveries in terms of production efficiency. Mm-hmm. Yes. We, we make, we just don't implement them. The business of business, or the business of America is business. Yeah. Okay, we, we, we can take... So militarily, we can take a perfect example that uh, they made lots of studies that show that a soldier is super effective when he's uh, when he's outside for six months, then come home, then train, then go outside again for six months or get deployed for six months. Mm-hmm. Any deployment over six months is counterproductive. Agreed. We 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 made the studies, we proved it. We just don't implement it. 
It's but true. the Europeans are implementing it, right? Are they? Based on all the studies, yes. See, here's the thing. This is the problem. Oh, boy, we're going to get into some gray area here. Here's the biggest problem with America, in my opinion. Well, we had a lot of problems, but here's one of the big problems. We became who we are because we were literally progressive. We were the ones who would say, what's the best way to do something? That's how we're going to do it. And when we found a better way, we would adapt. But now, after 70 years of being the presumed top dog, presumed you know most powerful and industrious and productive country in the world, we have lost our ability to adapt to anything. We're fearful of change, as happens to almost any nation that I think has a level of hegemony the way that we do. But the only thing that standing in the way of progress can do is give everyone else a chance to pass you by. And I think that's where we find ourselves right now. Elon Musk? He's an exception to the rule. He's South, uh, he's South African, of course, as well. But there are certain exceptions. But then again, even if you look at that, Elon Musk has created some enormous advantages. But frankly, look at the headwinds he's had to fight against. I mean, when the U.S. auto industry collapsed back in 08, I would have loved to have, instead of just in like given General Motors all of the money they possibly needed to keep things up and running, we should have given Elon Musk three factories that were going under, going under and he could have scaled up what he was doing and that would have been progressive. Yeah, I think maybe production facilities are best left to themselves, right? I'm not sure the government influence is always a great thing. Yes, at that time it was necessary to preserve some jobs. Mm -hmm. But was it really a benefit in the long term to to preserve jobs against that we now have uh, government installed CEOs for General Motors? Did they do a great choice? Were they were they down the road the right people to sit and make the right choices for General Motors? And in hindsight, I think we can say no. I wouldn't disagree with that. But we're kind of going off on different uh, we directions on this. And, we well, what I was going to say is, I mean, we are going to get back to furniture, but what I was going to say is government has the ability to enable. For the government to have taken over General Mills manufacturing plants would be a tremendous mistake. For them ha to have subsidized it and allowed a more progressive and successful manufacturer like Tesla to take it over instead of continuing to prop up a business model that had clearly shown itself to be lacking, I think was foolish. And doubly foolish when the government installs hand-selected people to run things, as they did in that case. Especially because we understand so much about the motor industry, right? <laughs> I've watched three YouTube videos. I, uh, I'm an expert on all things. Also, uh, I watched a 30-second thing on uh, immunotherapy, so I'm uh, an expert in that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, let's go back well, to furniture. Good, you know? Very quick, let's go back to furniture and get this thing back on yeah, track When here. we're talking about production in the United States, I think a lot of people are trying to put some furniture production back and, and producing in the United States. And, uh, yes. you know, we mentioned room and board before. They've certainly done a lot to make that happen. Unquestionably. And the vast, vast majority of suppliers that Habitation has are domestic, um, you know, and then, well, domestic and European. Uh, we don't do a lot of Chinese or Vietnamese or Indonesian furniture anymore. And uh, I'm very happy with that having become the case. Yeah, and it looks good. It looks, uh, when I go into your store, and it's partly, of course, the selection of furniture that you have and, and uh, you know, the, the, the way you display it. It, it. It's a good feeling. It's a very nice feeling to be there. 
Thank you. Wow. I appreciate that a great deal. Um, but yeah, but it's, uh, but it is, it is truly about quality and, uh, and, and America I think has woken up. That's not too loaded a term to the, uh, reality that, uh, we should be doing a lot of these things. We can do a lot of those things. We absolutely can produce in America. Of course we can. We did it before. We can do it again. It goes without doubt. And yeah, I, I don't know how you could argue against it, except again, it was a battle for lower cost. And I think we're able to combat that directly. And I think we're also hopefully a little bit over that. Well, it takes a long time to learn to do a trade right. And I think a lot of people found out that when we export every single thing to some place where labor rates are 50 cents an hour, that you maybe only get 50 cents an hour worth of work. Amen. Absolutely true. All right. One more break and then we're coming back and hopefully getting back on track with furniture rather than <laughs> General Motors. Drinking the style here on AM 950. Stick around. So Great talk. There is nothing for me. Are you a gambler? Hmm? Do you like to gamble? Not really. No. Especially they not when you know the odds are stacked against you. This whole thing is but a system to get my money from my pocket into your pocket. Lost the moment you walk in. At times mm-hmm. you have a very unladylike way of running out. You're on this date with me. The pickings have been lush. Oh, everyone does love lush pickings. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> that's quite an expression, Henry. Lush pickings. Lush pickings. Yeah, the picture's in your mind. Just. I'm going to use that expression. I think we Lush just. Lush pickings. Johnson, we just got Papa Giorgio's uh, theme uh, or uh, episode title. We're going to go with that? All We're right. going to go with Lush I'll pickings. Make a note of it. <laughs> So be it. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to Drink in the Style on the progressive voice of Minnesota AM 950 radio. We are speaking with deep thinker, deep thinker, Henrik Hundeved. Henrik, I've enjoyed the show a great deal. Thank you. Me too, Greg. But the deep thinker is a little bit too too much. You know what I mean, like repeating it twice is like right. way too much. Well, I didn't say deep, deep thinker. At least oh. I separated it so that you're only a deep thinker twice over. Well, at least we form an opinion on most subjects, right? <laughs> Something <laughs> deep like enough. That. Something <laughs> like that. Okay, quick. What are your your furniture lines? Let's uh, direct people to, uh, and you can Google these these different lines to to the type of stuff that you carry. Yeah, the first one, like say Bernini Modern, it's a, it's a mainly Italian design, high-end uh, leather sofas and, and other stuff from Italy. They even have a new, new outdoor line too that's made in Italy. Really? Yeah, it's very good. It, uh, I think they say that about 30% of the restaurants over there is using it and you see it pretty much all over well, in Italy and then you see it in France and the rest of Europe. Really? Make yeah. a point of, of making sure Carl knows about that. We have had two commercial, large commercial out, outdoor projects that uh, that we've been that we've got. It would be nice to have another supply option. Yeah. So okay. When you get to, yep. So Benini, what what else? Then I represent Jort Knudsen. Jort Knudsen is a family-owned company that is based in Denmark and produced in Poland and produced in Ukraine. And of course, they don't produce terribly much in Ukraine right now. 
tell a little funny anecdote about it, of course. <laughs> Why are they throwing Ottomans at the Russian troops? Don't they? <laughs> yeah, we, we know how to make it, right? Seriously. No, they have a lot of the – they're a very good company. The, the people that own it are very good people. And uh, they basically took the people that work in, in Ukraine and, of course, the factory and the materials and so forth and rented buildings in Poland okay. and transported the people to Poland – from uh, Ukraine? From Ukraine, yeah. Okay. So, are we talking about during the invasion currently, or you're saying in general this is a Ukraine-based no, company? No, only, only three weeks ago, right? They started transporting the people over there so that you could take women and children and, you know, basically put them in gyms, and then they start to integrate them with the people that already live there and work for them. Oh, that's that's fantastic. So they're actually using their facilities to help shelter refugees. Exactly, exactly. And we have facilities, we have capacities, and, you know, you can do things. Everybody can do something, but some people can do a little more. And if those people can do a little more, they do a little more, mm-hmm. then then that's what you see. And the name of that line again? It's Jörg Knudsen. Jörg Knudsen. Yeah, that's Danish. Yeah. Okay. Danish Fabulous. You know, I mean, and honestly, I mean, in times of this fuckery, anything that can be done should be done. Right, right, right. And then we represent Luanto, which is a great, great line out of fin- Finland. Mm-hmm. The Luanto means nature. I, I learned that. that. That's that very complicated language up there that they that they speak in Finland. Mm-hmm. It it really is Pustily, again, a showroom in, and I obviously keep going back to them since we're on kind of a Nordic-European thing, but, you know, wonderful kitchen uh, uh, and bath supplier. And the word Pustily, God, what did they say? It means something along the lines of beautiful homes made of wood or something along those lines. I don't speak Finnish. You don't speak Finnish? No. Just just Danish, English, Mandarin, I believe. Do you not speak Mandarin? <laughs> Mandarin like the fruit? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I can speak to oranges. Why do you ask? <laughs> awesome. Speak citrus. <laughs> All right. I wanna I wanna I wanna get some more of your thoughts though on, on, on some design questions overall. You ever stop and think about what it, where is the origin of design? What is what leads to a certain item other than pure function looking like what it looks like at this point? Well, I think that there are some people who have a supernatural talent that they can do things without necessarily going to school and learning it. But other than that, then you need to have a, a system of educating people to to perform at a certain level, right? It's mm-hmm. absolutely true. And Does, in the European style, we, we talked about this a little bit too, is it still a matter of generations creating furniture, people who've been in the same business for extended periods, or have they taken more of a utilitarian American approach? The latter. The latter. You think so? Yeah. It's going from one to the other. Yes, there are still family-owned companies mm-hmm. that produce exactly the same designs that they were made famous for in the, in the 40s, right? Mm-hmm. Very true. But generally speaking, it is... It is Americanized in that type of a development. Because I've always wondered, you know, certain people, as you say, have a knack for certain things. And it, you know, there's been a lot of research that indicates that memory and skills literally are making an impact on DNA. Absolutely. Right? I, I truly believe that the, that a skill or an experience can be transferred with your DNA. It's it's kind of hard. I mean, they've they seem to make it. It seems to be most prevalent in terms of trauma. Trauma seems to be heritable, 
which if that is the case is yet another twisted joke by the gods um, <laughs> that I don't particularly appreciate. But there does seem to be some kind of imprinting. Yeah. Conversely, though, I mean, if you think about it, I was always taught that evolution, you know, was Darwin versus, I can't remember his name. Was it like Lemaitre or something like that? The theory of acquired ta- traits. A giraffe wants, you know, the fruit at the top of the tree, so a giraffe stretches for it. And that stretching has an impact on its its descendants. And then the next generation has a slightly longer neck because that's useful. As opposed to the evolutionary concept of, you know, a, a, a trait that, you know, is just a, a an error that is advantageous and therefore passed down. But it seems that the former is picking up credibility again. Hans Christian Andersen's The Ugly Duckling is, is made as an argument for for the DNA having a, a, a bigger, bigger, you know. Really? How so? Well, the ugly duckling is, uh, is genetically a swan mm-hmm. and becomes an swan. Yeah. That was an argument that was, that there was an argument among the elite of the academia at the time when Hans Christian Andersen was, was big. Mm-hmm. There was another Danish person that was also big at that time, Henrik Pontobiden. Mm-hmm. He wrote a piece called The Eagle Flight, I believe, or The Eagle Escape. Not familiar with that. No. It was an eagle that escaped and, uh, of course, died because it had not the ability to, to fight and, and survive in nature. So he basically was saying, yes, as a, you may have the, the skills, you may have the DNA of an eagle. Mm-hmm. But unless you're brought up as an eagle, and you're not an eagle, right? you, you can't survive. What a fascinating, although that would become a question, I would think, of individual, like, learning, right? I mean, a baby eagle learns from mama eagle how to be an eagle. I mean, you're still an eagle. The question is, are you a successful eagle? Exactly, like the, like the killer whales. Yeah, exactly. We're, learning. We're learning to knock the sharks over and, yep. and all this right, other right, stuff. Right. Yeah, you can get on land. You can, you can walk a few feet down. Yeah. It's, uh, I don't know, there's a lot to be, to be learned. But, I mean, what it comes down to is the old expression of, you know, it's in the blood. You know, are you a great distiller? Well, yeah, it's in the blood. It's not necessarily what was just taught, but somehow... Previous generations' experience and expertise is semi-heritable. Or let's say that uh, what, what does a normal family sit and discuss around the dinner table? Uh, how often do you sit and discuss whether, you know, one type of glue is better than another type of glue? If you're as a four-year-old sit and listen to that, then you know, sooner or later you, you pick it up and it becomes almost second nature. You're just exposed to it. Yes. Who knows? I think that. Well, sadly, we didn't resolve that problem or that question. However, we have run out of time, and this has been fascinating. So on behalf of Habitation and the District and Henrik and everything else, I would like to uh, wish everybody good luck this week. And I will finish with a quote that I've seen on a meme that's been floating around recently. Everything in the universe either is a potato or is not a potato, and you have to be okay with that. Good night, everybody. Two potatoes. <laughs> Two potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> la, 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 la.